Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this week's Fireside Chat. I'm here with Dr. Tim Cross, our Senior Vice President, and I'm Lisa Stearns. We'll be addressing a few COVID updates, and then we are going to be spending some time with our special guest, Leland Statham, who is meteorologist and co-host of Talk of the Town for News Channel 5 in Nashville. I have to tell you, I am particularly excited about Leland being here with us today. Um, Leland and I both started our television careers here in Knoxville. And um, I have to tell you, you will not find a nicer person or harder worker than Leland Statham. Um, it was just such a pleasure to work with him and see his career blossom. It's been wonderful. And uh, we're just really excited to hear from him in just here in a few minutes. So uh, first, remember uh, everyone to keep your audio muted. Um, use the chat function if you'd like to ask a question of either Leland or Dr. Cross. You can put those in the public chat or you can actually send them to me privately and we will get those answered. Um, there is a recording of this session today and it will be posted on the coronavirus website uh, starting early next week. So do look for that. So we'll jump right in today and Tim, Fortunately, Tennessee has only seen some modest increases in the number of active cases and hospitalizations across the state. What is it that you are hearing from health officials? Thanks a lot, Lisa, and good afternoon. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, so good to see every, everyone here with us uh, today. So, you know, I think you're all seeing and hearing the news, uh, much like I am. Uh, and as I watch and observe uh, the reports, clearly uh, in Tennessee, we're still seeing modest increases, and some of those increases seem to be somewhat concentrated, perhaps in, in tourist areas in some cases, but statewide, uh, we continue at a, at a fairly stable uh, number of total active cases. There are certainly increases and decreases from county to county, community to community. But uh, as I look at the map, there are a, a large number of uh, counties that within the past couple of days, zero or one case was, was very common. So uh, clearly, you know, there's places where we're still experiencing some transmission, but plenty of places also where, where there really is, is very little uh, activity. And that's great. Uh, that's what we want to see. Uh, we also see that uh, there's, there's differences across the country too. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a minute. I think the other good news that, that I observe is that maybe with the exception of one or two of our uh, really uh, populated urban areas, our healthcare sector has really handled things well. Uh, we, we have not uh, had any capacity issues at this point with regard to hospital beds, uh, with re regard to capacity for healthcare for those who need it. Uh, and and uh, you know, a real positive note is that the death rate uh, in Tennessee tends to be, uh, be one of the lowest in the nation as far as a percentage uh, goes. So while we don't want to see any deaths, certainly uh, keeping that rate as low as possible is, is something that, that is a point of positive news. So at this point, you know, I think that hopefully summarizes what, what we've seen throughout the past week or two. It certainly doesn't mean that, that all is well, uh, nor does it mean that we're in a crisis. I think we still need to manage uh, using the, the physical distancing, the hygiene practices, face masks, and so forth that we've been talking about so much uh, the last several weeks. Uh, and as we continue doing that, that hopefully will, will help uh, us to be a part of the, the solution towards mitigating the spread of this virus. 
And as you said, it does seem things are very different across the country. So you have about half of the states in the country that are decreasing in active cases. And then you have the other half that are increasing. So does this change our guidelines uh, for us here in Tennessee and particularly for the Institute? Yeah, and this is, uh, again, uh, it seems like a, such a dynamic shifting environment we're in. Uh, if you look at a map these days, the states that are getting better and, and really experiencing rapid decreases in the number of cases are now some of the very same states that had the worst uh, cases, uh, worst uh, number of cases early on. And then conversely, if you looked at particularly in the South, some of the states that early on had very low number of cases uh, are now seeing some pretty significant increases. So it's almost like uh, the country has, has flip-flopped a little bit with uh, the northern part of the country early on experiencing uh, the, the pandemic at a very high level. And now, now we're seeing that shift to the south, whether that's due to, again, tourism and, and the fact that summertime uh, in, entices a lot of folks to visit states like South Carolina and Florida and even Texas. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist, as you all know but it, it does seem like things are changing. I think the point of that to me is that, uh, you know, Tennessee is, is really still running sort of middle of the pack. We're increasing, but, but at a very slow rate compared to many of the other states that are increasing. Uh, we're not certainly out of the woods by any means, but we're probably, uh, again, sort of that uh, cautionary uh, mode of, of uh, being reopened at this point. The one thing I want to take a good hard look at this next week, I know that we've started to travel a little more as we have uh, ramped up the number of employees that are re-entering the workplace, uh, conducting research across the state, doing extension work uh, is starting to increase. And, and as I think about it, I, I ask myself, is it more dangerous or less dangerous to travel in Tennessee than in neighboring states and in other states? And I know we've encouraged everyone to think about taking a vacation, taking some annual leave. And when you think about that, oftentimes you'll think about visiting family out of state, visiting, uh, you know, attractive places uh, out of state that might have uh, lakes or beaches or other, other features. Uh, and so I really want to reconvene our task force and our executive committee to determine if there might be uh, any, any reconsideration at this time with regard to domestic travel, uh, because we've said up until now that out-of-state travel uh, was, was restricted, only allowed in certain exceptions, and then we've also required anyone going out-of-state when they return to self-quarantine. Uh, I want to revisit that and see if all that still makes sense in light of, of the current uh, uh, data that we're seeing and in, in light of our experiences. So, no, no changes or decisions on that yet. I just like to keep you informed as to what we're looking at and what we're thinking about. So, so that's what I see uh, looming for our conversation uh, this next week. Right, well, we obviously want to keep um, on top of the whole COVID discussion because it does seem to change quite a bit. But um, I think we also want to really say that today uh, is an important and highly significant day in history and um, part of the reason why we also have our special guests. So did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks. And I'm going to work very quickly to, to introducing our guest here. But, you know, we've, we've talked a heck of a lot about coronavirus uh, the last 10 or 12 weeks. But in addition, we all know that we're experiencing another 
uh, crisis, and, and that is a crisis with regard to racial justice, uh, social justice throughout the country. And today is a really significant day in our history because uh, on this day in 1865, uh, a federal order was read in Galveston, Texas, uh, informing Texas that uh, slavery had, had ended and that all enslaved people were to be freed. And that was really the last uh, major communication to be shared with regard to slavery. And it preceded by about six months, the final ratification of the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery. So today uh, is referred to as Juneteenth, uh, June 19th, uh, a day to really celebrate uh, in terms of uh, abolishing slavery uh, in this country. Uh, in recognition of this day, I thought it might be good to uh, have someone visit with us who's uh, involved in the media, who sees things uh, from, from a different perspective for, perhaps than we do, who's had experience uh, with a very successful career in media, uh, and who is also a great friend and great supporter of our institute. So uh, I'll give him a little build up here and then turn it over to him. Mr. Leland Statham uh, actually grew up in Dyersburg, Tennessee. So for all you folks in West Tennessee, uh, this is one of your own uh, going to visit with us today. Uh, Leland uh, is also a graduate of the UT College of Communications, so he's, he's one of our own in terms of a, a university graduate as well. Uh, he's been an Emmy Award-winning meteorologist with News Channel 5 in Nashville, so those of you in Middle Tennessee, he's no stranger to you. You've seen him uh, on, on television for years. Uh, and in addition to all that, he's been an avid supporter uh, of our 4-H program. I first got to know Leland as he was helping out at 4-H Congress uh, with our History Bowl, which he does each and every year faithfully, does a great job uh, with that, uh, and, and then has gone on to serve on our 4-H Foundation Board. Uh, just, just a great friend uh, uh, and, again, a great supporter of the Institute. So. Uh, I, I really want to thank Leland for being willing to visit with, with us today, take some of his time and, and chat with us uh, about Juneteenth. Thanks for joining us, Leland. Hey, you're welcome very much. Great to be with you uh, today. Thank you for the invitation. And, and to Lisa, thank you, Lisa, as well. But yeah, she and, and I go way back to what was then Channel 26 with her and her husband. So it is great to be a part of this uh, program today. Great. So Leland, if, just to start out, uh, I've shared just a little bit of your background, but I didn't do it justice. Uh, would, would you like to share just a little bit about yourself, your career path, uh, and especially how you wound up in television and, and serving as a meteorologist? All right. From the, the very beginning, as it was noted, I grew up in West Tennessee, and my involvement with the 4-H the program actually goes back to, to fourth grade when uh, I was a part of uh, the 4-H program and the 4-H club at my school. I was in 4-H from uh, every year from fourth grade through high school, but really didn't get involved in the 4-H program full force until later on, late middle school and into in the high school. Uh, from there in high school, I was uh, part of the, the state 4-H council and uh, I don't know if they still have the, uh, the minority representatives, but that's actually how I got on the state 4-H council uh, as a uh, part of the a minority representative at large position. And so was involved on the, on the state program there. Uh, during my time at UT, continued to be involved with the 4-H program with, uh, with Dr. Ruth uh, Henderson, 
uh, who was the advisor for the, uh, the collegiate 4-H program. So as I serve with uh, the, uh, the local level there at UT or as a regional director, I uh, continued my involvement with 4-H throughout college. And while in college, I actually spent my summers at the Buford Ellington 4-H Trading Center over in Milan as I was the athletic director there for a, for a couple of years. So my mm -hmm. 4-H uh, go way, way back. And they actually continue with, uh, with my children. My son isn't involved now, but uh, he was a 4-H'er. A, a my daughter is actually now an extension agent through Cornell. She was at uh, UT and a UT grad and was there with uh, Mr. Crow and a host of the others uh, for the collegiate program at UTK, but she is now working uh, in Troy, New York as a kind of a 50-50 split, half ag and uh, half 4-H uh, up in the Troy area. So that foundation in 4-H and I think some of the demonstration contest and public speaking contest kind of helped to lay a little bit of foundation for what I do today. The love for weather itself actually goes way back to my middle school days. I've just, I've just always loved weather. When I was in middle school, had a little weather center in my backyard, nothing fancy, a wind vane, a rain gauge, and a thermometer on a stick. That was my Storm 5 weather center. But I was able to take something that was a love of mine as a student and turn into a career. Now, I didn't actually go to UT in the beginning to do weather. When I went to UT, I have a Bachelor of Science in Communications with an emphasis in news and public affairs. And when I went, my original goal was to be a, a reporter and to be a, a news anchor. I graduated uh, college and got a first job as a photojournalist at WTVK and from there, went across the street to WATE, and at WATE, I started, I was weekend assignment editor, but at that station, I started filling in on the weather. So I would do the weekend shows, I would do the morning shows, and if the planets were in the right alignment, I got to do the, the, the evening newscast. And the more I did that, the more I thought, I think this is what I want to do. This is what I, I, I think I really want to focus on. And so I went back to, to college and on top of my communications degree, I have a certificate of broadcast meteorology from Mississippi State. So that led me then from Knoxville to WCYB in Bristol, where I was up there as a weekend weather anchor and a reporter for about two and a half years. And then one day out of the blue, got a call from Ron Howes, our former chief meteorologist, who said, we've heard some nice things about what you're doing up in the Tri-Cities area, send us a tape. And within a, a couple of months, I was uh, in Nashville. So I've been in Nashville now since 1993. It was a big year because I finished Mississippi State that year, got married to my wife that year, who I met at UT from, uh, she's a College of Education graduate. And uh, from there came to Nashville to do weekend weather. And I've been uh, the senior meteorologist now at the station for the last four years. And on News Channel 5 this morning. I've been a part of the morning show now since 1999. So there's been a nice path through my career from one side of the state to the other. And I've lived in all three grand divisions of the state and twice in East Tennessee from Knoxville toward the Tri-City. So I have been very blessed in my career and blessed in my time here in Nashville. Well, great. Good, good to hear that background, uh, the degree to which you were involved in 4-H and, and how, you know, that even uh, helped contribute to uh, your, your success. Uh, that's, that's excellent. Your time across all parts of the state, I think, gives you a, a great perspective on our state and 
and certainly your time in the state's capital uh, has given you an appreciation uh, for, for what, uh, what happens there. I wonder, uh, Leland, if, if you could comment just a little bit uh, on how significant you feel the, uh, the current movement is in this country with regard to racial, racial justice. You know, many of us in the Institute are in rural areas. To some extent, we may feel like we haven't really been involved in, in this movement uh, quite as much. Uh, certainly the urban areas, there's been a lot more activity. And that's not to say there haven't been some, some activities and, and some uh, dialogues taking place in the rural areas. But I wonder, particularly from your perspectives there in Nashville, if you could talk to us just a little bit about what you see in terms of this movement and, and in terms of the state of Tennessee. You know, for the movement itself, I think the interesting thing is on how how, how, how long this has gone, gone on since the, uh, the incident in, in, in Minnesota. I, d I don't think that there has been a night somewhere in the country where there has not been some type of protest or some, some type of rally. And I know that they've happened all across the state. Now, they may not have hit all 95 counties, but I know that they've uh, all across the state. We were in East Tennessee this past weekend at the in-laws and saw some of the stories concerning uh, a few of the things that were going on in Knoxville. So I think the significance of, of what's happening right now is, number one, I think it, the, the number of them that have been going on and the fact that they continue as they have, the hope is, is that maybe there will be a little bit more in the way of what happens from a government standpoint, because I think the, the deep down feeling within the African-American community is that after a, an incident where this may have happened, is you have a couple of protests, you have a couple of rallies that happen maybe in the city where it took place, a couple of days go by, and then it just kind of fades into the horizon. And so this time out, I think that the hope is, is that there will be more, more change, not just on a, a local level, but things that will happen locally, nationally, and on a state level. So I think what's happening right now is extremely important I also believe that uh, I think it's raised a heightened awareness of Juneteenth. Now, despite what may have been said in the news, it's a celebration uh, that's not new. It's been one that has been going on since 1867. This is actually the 155th observance of Juneteenth. And so it marks when two and a half years after uh, the fact that the uh, Lincoln signed the, the, the proclamation, it marks the fact that it was the last set of slaves in Galveston who then heard the proclamation from a Union soldier that uh, you were indeed freed. So it was either the year after that or two years after that, that Juneteenth celebrations began in this country and have actually really started to become more widespread over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. So I think what's happening right now in association with Juneteenth, hopefully will make even more people aware of, of what's happening and also uh, may, may, maybe make more people aware that there are some things that need to, to, to change. There are a lot of things that if you go back to the Rodney Keene incident, which was I believe 92-ish, some of the things that were brought about then are still taking place today. And so I think the, there is a big hope that this will mean more profound change. I think for a lot of folks, it's also great to see the rainbow of people who are a part 
of this. Now, you go back and you look at the civil rights marches, you always saw some whites or some people of other races who are part of this, but you definitely see much more of a rainbow color of folks who are at these marches, and I think that has been fantastic to see. Yeah, great. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and it, it does feel like perhaps somewhat of a turning point, somewhat of an inflection point uh, for the better. Uh, and, and I certainly hope, you know, that that momentum continues. You're familiar with 4-H. You've been a participant. You've been a volunteer. You're, you're leading uh, our foundation as a board member there. Uh, you you uh, had a child graduate from the university. Any thoughts uh, that you have you could share as to what, what we can do as, as an institute of agriculture, through our youth programs, through our collegiate programs, how can we be a part of, of sustaining and, and really uh, supporting this movement uh, of, uh, of contributing to uh, racial justice uh, in this country and particularly in this state? I think just number one, make sure that from, uh, from the ground level that what, uh, that what rules are in place are, are, are great for everybody, fostering something that's open for, that everybody feels uh, that they can be a part of. Not just what you may think at the top, but what everybody feels they believe uh, that they can, can be a part of, but also making sure that there is open uh, dialogue. I do think some of the students, high school students today are more open uh, to change than what we saw in my time in 4-H, but still there are those pockets out there because of just how they happened uh, to, to grow up. There are still those folks out there who are just kind of tunnel vision. And so I think anything that you can do to foster conversation, and I think that's one of the best methods right there is being able to make sure that you foster that, uh, that, that openness and should there be an, an, an event or an incident that happens anywhere within the 4-H program on the local or state level, anywhere in the state, that someone who feels that they are a victim of it, then they feel that they can go to someone. And that, that, that's key because sometimes they feel, well, no one's going to say uh, anything. No one's going to listen to me. And so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. They need to feel deep down that if they go someone, to someone and say, this happened to me, or this happen, then that they believe that they will listen to what's up and then do what needs to be done to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, great, excellent suggestions. Uh, and certainly things that we can readily embrace and, and that you know really uh, we need to stand for. We, we've always been committed as a land-grant university to serving all, and we need to make sure that, that we really and truly are doing that. So uh, excellent, excellent thoughts there, Leland. Uh, Lisa, I think it'd be a good opportunity then to uh, turn it open if, if some folks have some questions for Leland uh, about uh, June, Juneteenth, uh, about the we weather this weekend, uh, <laughs> or maybe about COVID-19. You know, we, we'll, we'll put Mr. Statham right on the spot here this afternoon. I'd like to ask Leland a question, and that is, you know, one thing that we, we notice is that we don't have as great a participation from African Americans in 4-H. And so I'm curious how you got interested in 4-H and, and maybe just your thoughts on how um, we might, um, you know, better serve that, that community. And you know, and, and, and as you all know, it, that's not a, a new issue. It's been one that's been there since my time prior to to me being in it. And you know, it it, it is harder in some of the, the the rural areas to to deal with this. 
And then you have the inner city uh, students. And I know from my time on the uh, advisory extension advisory committee for, for, for Davidson County uh, with Ms. Hayslid and uh, some of the other extension agents in Davidson County, it was always a, a, a challenge because how do you take a, a program and get younger folks to, to, to be interested in it or to steal it? <laughs> You know, we all remember the old slogan that 4-H just ain't cows and cooking. And so it's trying to make sure that some of the students today see that there are other aspects of the program. And it's try maybe just making sure that there is better awareness of some of the, the other projects that uh, young ones can be involved in. I know it's even a lot harder today because in my day, you had no problem getting into schools. And so we could all get into schools and that was an easier deal. And every uh, once a month, the 4-H program was in your school. It, it, it's harder now, and, but maybe I know one of the things that was done here was to try to at least go into a couple of schools where they, they focused on the public speaking aspect of it. They, they, they focused on demonstration. They tried to come up with some other things that might work in, in an urban area. For those of you in some of the rural areas, uh, if you go to, let's say, West Tennessee, it's a little easier because there's a little higher population of African-Americans versus East Tennessee, where there are probably still a couple of counties over there where it's less than two or three uh, percent. If you get into some of those other counties in West Tennessee, again, just being able to show them that there are other aspects of the program and making sure, too, that there are some opportunities for, for leadership growth or as students get to high school or get to that junior year or senior year, maybe there are opportunities for them to have some volunteer hours somewhere, no matter uh, the, uh, the, the background of the project, where maybe they're able to get some volunteer hours through 4-H for Tennessee Promise, which is a requirement for students each year. Great ideas. Excellent ideas. Um, one thing, uh, and I know Charles Denny wanted to make sure that we uh, acknowledge the fact, Leland, that 21 years ago, you were able to get our stories that run about the Institute on uh, Channel 5, which has, you know, just been a wonderful help to us to get the word out about what it is the Institute of Agriculture really does and um, in a lot of stories about 4-H, and I think that helps a lot. Well, you're welcome. I, I think it's a great avenue to be able to get information out. And Chuck does a great job of highlighting many different aspects of 4-H. So it, it could appeal to anybody, whether they were in an urban area or a rural area. There are a lot of great stories concerning 4-H that he's able to, to put together. So to, uh, to Chuck and to Doug, I say I thank you. There's another connection back in uh, my days in TV with Lisa, because as I left Channel 26 and I went to 6, Chuck was a, Charles was a reporter over at the Channel 10 and Doug and I were weekend assignment editors against each other uh, on weekends with me at six and he at Channel 10. And sometimes he and I would even chat with each other over the two way back then. So uh, things have become a long way uh, since then, but uh, it, it's great to be connected with Chuck and uh, Charles and with Doug once again. Awesome. Okay, Justin is saying uh, Leland worked all week at News Channel 5 and still drove back and forth to Columbia to be an adult leader at 4-H camp for Davidson County. We have always appreciated his commitment to the 4-H program. That's from Justin, correct? <laughs> Thank you, and I've not seen you personally since the job promotion, so 
congratulations to you uh, and also happy anniversary. I think it was a day or so ago, uh, but I appreciate that. Again, the, the love for 4-H for me goes, goes deep. I am on uh, a host of committees for 4-H through the years and uh, with, with Boy Scout and a few others, but the one that goes deepest uh, in my heart is the, the, the 4-H program, just for what I, I have felt it has been able to do for me through the years and you know, being able to give back however I can, whether it was serving uh, as an adult leader in my time in Knox County or in my time in the Tri-Cities. I also happened to be on the committee when uh, Justin made his uh, leap from uh, hard not Savannah, right? Uh, from Savannah to, to, to Nashville. So I was on the Ag Committee at that point and was definitely a fantastic hire. And boy, look at you now. <laughs> and it looks like you've made quite a, his, uh, a name for yourself moderating the History Bowl, Leland. Uh, it looks like the Putnam four, County 4-Hers are big fans. <laughs> well, and uh, I tell the 4-Hers uh, this many of the years, the History Bowl, again, has a special meaning for me because when I went to Congress, I participated. I was the, uh, one of the two represent representatives for West Tennessee. So I participated in the History Bowl. Didn't do very well, but uh, I was in the History Bowl, so it's great to be a part uh, of, of what they're doing with that now. Awesome. Surprisingly, you haven't had any weather questions. We do hear rumbling of thunder outside the, the doors here in Morgan Hall. So maybe you can let us know something's happening. Yeah, just, uh, and y'all actually have a little higher chance over in the, the eastern part of the area than we do. Uh, but it's just, uh, this pesky little thing is gonna finally pull on out and we'll get a little steamy for the weekend. Probably upper 80s to near 90 your way, mid to low 90s here in the mid-state uh, Saturday and Sunday. Not bad. Our own personal forecast. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leland, I suspect you got an early start this morning. I believe your day normally starts uh, probably even earlier than, than uh, those in, in agriculture <laughs> Uh, just uh, knowing your schedule, I, I want to say thanks so much for joining us uh, and uh, for taking the time to be with us today. And, and certainly thanks for the many, many ways in which you support the university and the Institute of Agriculture. And as was mentioned, you, you're also a great supporter, I know, in your community there uh, with, with other organizations as well. So uh, really an, an inspiration uh, for all of us. It's good to call you a friend and, and a colleague. Uh, thanks for joining us today, and uh, I hope uh, you have a great weekend this weekend. All right. I appreciate that. Yeah, my day normally starts at 2 o'clock in the morning since we have a newscast that starts at 4 a.m. Actually, starting next week, I'll get to sleep a little hour a little later and only start at 5 a.m. as we're now doing team weather in the morning. Uh, at that hour of the day, every second, every minute counts. But I appreciate being a part of this. Thank you for the invitation. And also, uh, if you will, Lisa, tell Norman hi. And uh, Dr. Cross, please tell Justin hello. Will do. Thanks so much. So we're, you're welcome to stay with us, but you're also welcome to sign off uh, so, uh, so you can uh, get about your day here today and start your weekend uh, and enjoy some of that hot, steamy weather, maybe. <laughs> well, I will sign off. So I thank all of you all for, for, for doing this and uh, taking the, the, the time to observe uh, Juneteenth and at least talk a little bit about the history of it. I will sign off because I am actually headed to, to Gallatin there's a car dealership there that every year gives away a car to a student with uh, A's and B's on their report card. 
this year in the age of COVID and they can't get them all together, we're going to do a Facebook Live setup. So five students today will win a $1,000 scholarship. One is going to win a $5,000 scholarship. So I am on my way up there to be a part of that Facebook Live this afternoon. But thank you very much. And again, Dr. Cross and everybody else. Uh, great to see all of you all and all of your faces uh, in Zoom. Boy, I wish I'd bought Zoom stock a couple of months back. <laughs> Thanks, Lewin, and I hope the car uh, giveaway goes well. I know you'll do a great job as always. Thank you. Thanks, Leland. Thank you. Good. So for the rest of our group, uh, if, if there are any questions uh, about coronavirus, uh, COVID, certainly welcome those. Thoughts, comments, reactions about our discussion about uh, racial justice and June 19th are all fair game. Uh, so Make sure, since we have a few minutes, that we make good use of our time together, but we don't need to draw this out either. Any, any questions that have been posed, Lisa? Uh, just one, and it's related to coronavirus, and that is um, there are a number of extension agents that are becoming worried about the school schedule. Um, having different schedules for different kids, only going part of the week. With us getting closer to August, what will that flexibility look like for agents with students as they are re-entering the workplace? Yeah, so in particular, I think the question is those that have students that, that are on a maybe a different schedule, that creates a challenge at, at work and, and in the office environment. Uh, you know, I think starting from where we, we first uh, sort of landed on this uh, was, was that we would be flexible, we would recognize uh, that, that these were challenging times and we would, you know, do our very best to work with individuals uh, when they're in the situation of having to care for children, care for uh, uh, parents and so forth. So that, that attitude and that, that approach hasn't changed. Uh, in, in really thinking about specifics uh, about that, I'm, I'm going to be hard pressed to say any more than you know, let us know what the challenges are. Let us know what, what the constraints are. Maybe your proposed uh, approach or solution when those situations arise. And we're just going to have to take them uh, as they come. I, I see that Dr. Sensiman uh, is on with us today. And I think Mr. Crow is as well since he asked a question. So let me just pause for a moment and see if either of them want to uh, respond in terms of the relationship of school programs to our 4-H program, but then also, Scott, just to the overall uh, extension approach uh, and, and the fact that uh, some of our agents and, and their children may be on a, a schedule that's different than what it has been in the past. So uh, let me see if Justin has anything to, to start with. Thank you, Dr. Cross. I was putting some notes in the comments, but essentially we have a think tank of about 15 4-H agents, some regional and state staff, they actually met today for their first meeting uh, to really look proactively at what the fall will look like. We realize there are 95 different scenarios across the state, but we are working proactively to think through some ideas and solutions on how we can re-enter schools this fall, perhaps virtually, perhaps through a non-contact sort of format. So um, each of your regions have at least five representatives on that. Uh, if you have ideas or suggestions, Dr. Jennifer Richards is chairing that committee and all of their recommendations are due back to me by July 31st. And at that point, we'll share those statewide. And we're hoping to have four or five various types of plans that depending on what phase your county is in, where you are with your school system, one of these plans should work for you 
so that we can still maintain that relationship with our school systems and maintain that step back since our break program. Great, thanks, Mr. Crow. Uh, Dr. Sensman, anything you want to add to that discussion? Uh, just a few things, Tim. Uh, yeah, I'd just reiterate what you said. I think flexibility is still uh, obviously the, the point that we want to make through this. Uh, certainly, we know we have individuals in the workforce that have children, not necessarily child care uh, abilities there. So that, that's one of the things I think we're working through. Four months ago, we would, of course, not have had any idea that we could do some of the things that we know that we can now do. And uh, the productivity and the creativity that everybody has shown so far has been fantastic. So uh, I think going forward, we'll, we'll do our best, of course, to be as flexible as we can and and realizing that, of course, there are things that we know we need to get done, but it's sure very apparent that uh, there's been really good ways to have those things happen. So we'll be as flexible as we possibly can be. Great. Thanks, Scott. Um, one question uh, is about anticipating, when can we anticipate having updates about meeting sizes and resuming face-to-face -face group meetings? So I think we, that probably needs to be on our radar screen uh, for, for revisiting as well. Uh, there are recommendations at the state level. Uh, well, there's CDC recommendations and guidance, there's state level guidance, there's university guidance. Uh, in in um, probably none of those exactly in, in perfect alignment. We need to think through uh, just where we need to, to be as we move forward. Uh, we had addressed it in our phased uh, reentry plan but I think it, it probably warrants uh, reconsideration uh, with regard to where we're at now, what, what phase uh, comes next, and whether, um, whether we need to reevaluate the whole uh, public gatherings, uh, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think we're, we're certainly seeing more and more uh, gatherings of individuals, uh, and, you know, perhaps to some extent, that's why we're also seeing continued transmission of coronavirus. But we're not seeing, again, huge spikes uh, as a result. So I think we need to remain cautious. We, we need to remain careful. Uh, we need to think about as we do any kind of meetings or gatherings, make sure we're in alignment with, with uh, the guidance that's most pertinent uh, to those situations. But I also think uh, we, we have to start, you know, really re-engaging, if you will. Uh, we, we can't... Uh, just like those of us in our homes, we can't stay in our homes forever. We've got to come out. We've got to be a part of the community, but we've got to do it sensibly and safely. So thinking about social distancing, thinking about requirements for masks and hygiene, all those things need to factor in to uh, any plans we make uh, in the future for uh, public type meetings and events as well. So for right now, we'll stick with the, the requirements or the restrictions that we have, but uh, we, we do need to make sure those remain relevant uh, in light of the guidance uh, provided by CDC and the state and the university. Speaking of making plans for meetings, apparently National 4-H Conference is uh, scheduled for October and there is an early bird registration that's already started in July. Flying is the best way to travel, but the rules obviously in place right now are um, are against that. So any recommendations if that conference does indeed happen? Well, for, for any conference, any, any uh, you know, national uh, travel uh, opportunities after July 31, at this time, there are no restrictions. In terms of actually participating, 
we, we've certainly indicated a preference uh, when, whenever possible uh, to travel by private auto and to, you know, to be able to control your environment and, and the, the passengers that you are or are not exposed to. But we're also seeing, of course, uh, more, more passengers on airlines. So I think that will continue to ramp up as well. Uh, really, I think at this point, uh, it, it is uh, logical that more, more travel is going to occur in the future and be possible. Uh, but I think we just need, again, to approach it sensibly and think about, you know, if it were me and I were planning to travel out of state, I would also just go ahead and plan when I return to re work remotely two weeks. Uh, because chances are you'll find out either during or after whatever meeting it is that someone tested positive and that you may or may not have been in, in you know, close proximity to such individuals. Uh, we need to be careful as, as we come back from those kinds of situations. So I think, uh, you know, make plans as appropriate. Right now we've described out-of-state travel is only occurring when it's essential. Uh, so I think about that as well. Is this a real critical need? Is it terribly important uh, that you participate in this event? Is it going to benefit uh, you, your students, uh, research that's taking place, uh, the community that you serve? You know, think about what those direct benefits are. Uh, and just in the current budget climate, we need to be even more uh, conservative than usual with regard to uh, our resources uh, so that we, we uh, are seen as, as managing our resources wisely. Well, that's a great lead into our next question, which is, would you um, comment on the state budget and the impact or potential impact on uh, the Institute of Agriculture? Yeah, great question. And um, you know, I wasn't certain whether, whether the budget was gonna get done or not prior to our call today, but as of about 2 a.m. this morning, uh, the House did vote and approve a budget that uh, was agreed to by the Senate as well, I believe. So uh, we do uh, uh, apparently have a budget uh, for the coming year. It's, it's not nearly as good as where we started from, but the, the positive news is, uh, as far as I understand at this point, uh, there are not significant reductions for higher education. And that means certainly, uh, you know, while there's no increases for higher education, we're also at this point not expecting uh, any budget reductions. Uh, so looks like a flat budget for the coming year. So, you know, in, in, uh, in many states, uh, that's not at all the experience they're having. We feel fortunate that uh, the state of Tennessee is supporting education and higher education in this way, but that makes it all the more important that we really do the very best job we can managing our resources, being accountable for them, uh, and demonstrating a good return on that investment that the state is making in us. So at this point, not expecting any reductions, at least uh, not, not on July 1. Uh, everybody's asking now, well, what about later in the year? Is it possible that our budget could be cut later on? Certainly anything's possible, but uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll manage conservatively, and that's another good reason not, not to go crazy right now. We need to uh, anticipate that uh, tax revenues will continue to be down, uh, which challenges the state to meet uh, its uh, obligations. So we, we need to do our part to make sure we manage accordingly. Um, and thinking back to uh, the school year question, um, someone is asking, uh, what is the best way to let us know about any concerns that they might have about the upcoming school year and, and honestly for any questions that they may have. Yeah, I think, uh, and I, I'm guessing this is from a 
parental point of view, uh, I'm not really sure of the, the point of view here, or whether it's from concerns about it in terms of carrying out responsibility as a as a 4-H agent that's working in the school, which may make some difference. I think in either case, make sure uh, if, if you're an extension agent, communicate with your county director and regional director, uh, make them aware. Uh, if, if, uh, if it's more of a, a parental issue and, and you're not part of extension, if, if you're, uh, you know, at one of our recs or, or here on campus, visit with your rec director, your department head, uh, let us know what the problem or challenge is, and then let's figure out, as Dr. Sensman mentioned earlier, uh, some way to, to creatively uh, deal with that, uh, emphasizing flexibility, uh, but recognizing we have to be responsible and accountable as well. Um, from a budget perspective, a question's asked, um, does this mean that the UT compensation project is on hold as well with the flat budget? Does that mean that is on hold? Yes, I, there won't be any, uh, any across the board or merit increases. Uh, as far as the compensation project, I think that's also encompasses reviews of positions and potential reclassifications, retitle and so forth. That work will likely continue, but I don't expect there would be any, any uh, changes made that would have any, any significant uh, uh, payroll impact uh, immediately due to the fact that there really won't be any additional resources to work with. So uh, I think we'll continue to, to uh, review and, and upgrade, uh, update our position descriptions, uh, be a part of that classification project, uh, but I don't see any major, major changes occurring at this time uh, given the, the flat resources and recognizing that even though our budget's going to be flat, costs are going to increase. That that happens virtually every year, so uh, that that's going to be a challenge. We'll have to manage uh, a little more conservatively, a little more uh, frugally than normal. But uh, I believe we'll be fine uh, from a fiscal perspective. We're starting from a solid base. So I talked all around that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> close to answer. But you ended on a positive. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, there really are no other questions. So any final thoughts for today? Well, you know, I thank Leland, uh, but I want to make sure and, and express again how much I appreciate him joining us this afternoon, visiting with us just a little bit about Juneteenth uh, and uh, helping us to think about as, a, as an institute, uh, as a 4-H program, as as an academic program, what can we do to make a difference uh, in the state of Tennessee? thought he had some great, uh, really uh, applicable thoughts and suggestions that we can take to heart. And I hope each of you will think about that uh, in your county office, in your laboratory, uh, in your classroom. Uh, how can we all be part of a solution to be sure that we really are welcoming to all, that we really do uh, value each and every person? Uh, we can all play a part there. So uh, I, I thank, thank Leland again for uh, taking part of that. Uh, I want to make sure we, we reemphasize as usual. I want each of you to stay healthy. I want you to continue all those things we keep talking about, the hand washing, the self-check in the morning, uh, wearing a face mask out in public, uh, all those things. Uh, need to continue. I want to keep our count of positive cases exactly where it is right now, and that's zero. Uh, and with your help uh, and your continued commitment, I'm confident we can do that. And then finally, I, I want to say uh, 
happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Uh, I want to say happy weekend to each and every one of you. I hope you enjoy uh, some time uh, this weekend with family, friends, uh, as appropriate, socially distanced, <laughs> uh, and all those good things. Uh, but uh, take some time off, uh, enjoy it, come back to work, and, and let's tackle it again next week. Great. Thanks, Tim. Same to you. Thank you, Lisa.